Well, good morning, folks. Today we have uh, some familiar stories as we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. I want to remind you, uh, if you've been with us, you you know we've been uh, studying Mark in a, a slightly different fashion, rather than focusing uh, in the in the in the uh, details of each and every small story. We've been trying to step, take a step back and see what Mark was doing literarily. In other words, trying to look at his portrait that he's painting because he's he's trying to answer a question for us and to convey something very important to us. A question that uh, hopefully the Spirit is leading us to ask ourselves, and that question is. Who is this Jesus? And and perhaps a, a follow-up question would be, and how am I to respond to him? And so today we have this these stories that are filled filled with um, with this this story about bread and feeding in the wilderness. Now, one of the things I shared with you last week is that one of the things that Mark did literarily is uh, he. Uh, starting in chapter four, uh, told this story. He painted this portrait using uh, doublets, meaning stories that are paired. And last week we saw there were healings of uh, uh, that were within the Jewish community of which Jesus was a part. And then there was uh, a, a very similar story of healings that took place uh, when they crossed to the other side. When we crossed to the world that was unlike theirs, they crossed into the Gentile world. And, but but the, but the same kind of thing happened. Here again, we have two stories that are very similar, two feedings in the wilderness. And once again, Mark has done the same thing. The first is a story that takes place within within a Galilee, within uh, Jewish's homeland, within the community of, of the Jews. And the second was a feeding in the wilderness uh, that wasn't feeding Jews, but feeding the Gentiles once more. And again, very similar story. So what are we to make of it? Well, a couple of points I'd, I'd like to uh, make before we dive in, uh, just as a, as a reminder, because I cannot help read this story without uh, sort of a set of bifocals uh, or, 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 or hearing it with, with in, in two different ways. First of all, there's the story that is simply recalling what Jesus did in, in Mark, recording uh, the story of the disciples, you know, in and about, you know, 30 years, uh, you know, after Jesus was born. And then there's the story that Mark is telling to the community he's actually addressing as they watch the Roman army um, uh, descend upon Palestine, as they as they saw the Jewish uh, Roman war uh, resulting in civil war among the Jews. And then they as he as he spoke into a community who was already feeling the pangs of famine. And, and trying to understand how they were to flourish. I can't help but hear it, uh, hear this story uh, with both of these uh, historical backgrounds in mind. And the other thing that I, I, I hear it with, and I'd urge you to consider, is what the word bread actually means biblically by the time Jesus arises. Certainly this story, these stories evoke uh, uh, for us uh, reminders of manna in the wilderness and, 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 uh, and the food that God provided for people as they wandered, feeling so lost, wondering would God be with them as they, as they made their way from Egypt into this land that God had promised. Um, 
certainly it evokes that. But over time, this, you know, this bread, you know, man does not live by bread alone. Bread became a metaphor for Torah, became a metaphor for God's instruction uh, on how to love God and love each other. Uh, because learning how to love is how we learn to live. Uh, biblically speaking, living to live is to love, to be fully human is to love. So the bread that we need to sustain us is not merely just uh, that which comes from the grain uh, that, that our stomach ingests, but it's also that, that, that grain that our heart ingests. Torah, loving is what sustains us. And bread is learning to live in the way that frees us to love. So with that in mind, as we listen to these stories, uh, let's uh, let's uh, set the context. First of all, uh, we haven't told the story yet. We'll come back to this later. At the beginning of chapter six, uh, Jesus has has they, they have returned with he's returned with the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it, Mark doesn't talk much about the, the return trip, but we suddenly find them back in Galilee. And now Jesus, having trained them, sends, he gathers the 12 and he sends them out in pairs on their first solo missions. He instructed them, interestingly enough, and importantly to our story, uh, to take nothing for their journeys, nothing except for a walking stick. In other words, they were to take no bread, no bags, and no money in their belts. So our story takes place upon their return. Uh, and so having sent them out, Jesus now teaches them to do what he always did, to withdraw, to withdraw into the wilderness, to draw to the mountain top to pray, to reflect on their experience and to learn from it. So they're basically doing debriefings as the as these pairs returned. And it says many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. And then, and, you know, this is supposed to be a treat. I don't know if you've ever gone on a spiritual retreat before uh, that was interrupted. Uh, I being married to a, a, a surgeon uh, who's on call this week, I've really felt the pathos a bit because, uh, uh, you know, on this on this weekend alone, she had something like 18 calls yesterday of people uh, just calling, 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 just wanting someone to talk. And so the, the, the description here is that these guys are 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 retreating to uh, to to reflect and to learn with Jesus so that they can be further prepared. But instead, the the, the wilderness was overrun by crowds. The, and don't forget the word crowd that we see that we translate the crowd. That's we've been talking about. That's the people of the land. The crowd consists of of the masses of in this case Jews who uh, were in, in who who were uh, chronically in need for uh, all the things that constitute bread that sustain us. And so uh, they had moved, they had, they had moved, moved, followed Jesus and his disciples into the wilderness. So they weren't actually able to do uh, the uh, restoration that was Jesus's intent. And the disciples look upon it and upon them and without quite the, the same eyes that Jesus did. They were wanting to get onto the project that Jesus had assigned them of reflecting. And instead, Jesus, though, looks upon them. And the, I love the word that's there in the Greek. Uh, uh, it, you know, we translate it in English to simply compassion. But the Greek word actually says, Jesus looked upon them as one having one's guts torn apart. 
as can you imagine having your guts torn apart? Jesus is is profoundly moved by the people of the land and and their uh, evident impoverishment. Uh, this is not what his father intended. He knows and and and, and but the disciples see this too. And 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 so when he says let's feed them, uh, they say okay. Well, what that means is let's tell them to return to the circle of farms and villages to to purchase food to 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 take care of them. And and Jesus gives them a challenge. He says give them something to eat yourself, like Elisha did in our Old Testament story, the prophet did. And the disciples responded with something of astonishment and reproof, uh, actually, a tone of reproof. <laughs> Jesus, are you expecting us to, to, to take eight months of our pay to feed them? That's what it would take to feed this many people. And Jesus says, well, take a look. How much bread do you actually have? Isn't that a important point? Something, a point that we often forget to, to look and see what God has already provided and to, and to have eyes to see the actual superabundance that is there. And it's there, there's an irony here, don't you think? Because Jesus had just sent them on a mission in which they were to take neither bread nor money, and they had been sustained along the way. One would think that they might have learned something from that experience. They, they had a failure of imagination. Twice they tell Jesus that the solution is to go and buy food. They had not enough faith that, that God would provide. But D, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them something new. Remember, he's about this project of now inaugurating this new way of being, this new kingdom of God. So now they get lesson 101 in kingdom economics. So what did Jesus do? Well, the first thing he did is he provided order. He established order. So he divided them into groups of, as, as, as uh, Chris read to us, in hundreds and fifties. So you imagine them, they're, they're, they are seated in the grass all as though they were at a banquet table and they're organized into like banquet-like settings so that the food could be distributed. And then he took bread and fish in his hands. He pronounced God's blessing, which is to say when, we, when he blesses it, you, when, we, when, the, when a priest or when Jesus, you know, blesses something, they are putting this into, into, into service so that, so that uh, this thing that's in my hands, when I pronounce a blessing on it, it's saying, God, I, you know, I ask that you make this thing that's in my hands, you, you uh, dedicate it and make it something that it is not apparently to me now, something more than a mere blanket, something more than a mere table, something more than a mere loaf of bread in a fish. Make it something that will cause people to feel and experience your presence when they draw near to it. That's what it means to pronounce God's blessing and upon it. And that's what he did. And, and then he broke it into pieces. So he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. He gave the bread to his disciples. And then uh, we read that all ate and were satisfied. I hope you recognize those four verbs, take, bless, break, give, because those are the verbs that animate our own rehearsal of these kingdom economics every time we celebrate the Eucharist. All ate and were satisfied. Not only that, just as in Prophet Elisha's time, uh, 
there was a surplus and a surplus uh, symbolically 12 bushels. There are 12 tribes of of this reconstituted Israel, the 12 tribes uh, and and the 12 disciples of Israel reconstituted. And there was a surplus such that there were bushels that filled all of the 12 bushels, symbolizing that God is providing not just for those who are in the wilderness, but for all of Israel so that they might be the people that God always called them to be. So I, I mentioned the, the story of the prophet Elisha, and, and uh, one of the things that was there, of course, in that the context there in Second Kings uh, was, was there was famine in the land and starvation. Uh, so, so that's an important prophetic critique. And so Mark clearly is evoking that story, and it provides the, the plot of his retelling of what happened in Jesus's time. But, but another thing that he invokes here that we shouldn't miss is a uh, is a critique of those who were called to be shepherds. There was a phrase that's in the prophets. It, it occurs in the prophet Ezekiel. It also uh, occurs in the prophet Zechariah and elsewhere. This notion of a sheep without a shepherd. It was it was in in context very much a political critique. So I want to remind you of the words that Tom read to us. It's it's, it's God's judgment through Ezekiel saying, "I'm going to judge between the rams and the bucks among the sheep and the goats. I'm going to judge uh, between the fat and the lean sheep, because with shoulder and flank and with your horns you ram all the weak sheep." Push them out of the way until you've scattered them outside. You, you've made them outcast so that you can eat. But I will rescue my flock so they'll never again be a prey for you. I'll even judge between the sheep and I'll appoint a single shepherd, a single shepherd, and he will feed him, feed them. Uh, we see Mark telling the story. I don't know how we can not remember this, this uh, prophecy about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do and see how Jesus is doing just that. Jesus is acting as the single shepherd in feeding them, insisting that they be fed. But there's a prophetic critique here. I, I, um, I had uh, an interaction with somebody recently who began the conversation by telling me that all taxes are theft. I want you to think about that a little bit, a worldview in which any sort of taxation on him and on anyone else should be understood to be theft uh, from the government. Uh, and, and similarly, uh, in his in his sense of things, I've noticed any proposed solutions to our racial and immigration tensions tend to be dismissed with words like Marxist or communist. And in other words, anything that looks like a sharing of the bread is to be dismissed and understand as theft from him. And, and I, I often wonder what underlies this thinking? Is it, a, is, it a, is it an understanding of these kingdom economics or is it an understanding of economics of some other kind? Um, is it an understanding of bread? Uh, as, as of, of the same thing that we see in the Bible, uh, or another thing. I, one of the things that I've, I've talked to him about is that freedom uh, is learning how to love. Freedom just is. If you want to be free, freedom is not a private space in your head uh, that, that no one is to to invade or else be called thieves if they if they if they ask you to share bread because. 
God has provided all that is. And freedom is about learning how to love. And in this story here, we see Jesus teaching us that love looks something like sharing our bread, sharing our bread with each other. And so there's a critique here that I hope we won't miss of, of the fat sheep, the lean, the fat sheep who, who uh, jealously guard their bread and, and are unwilling to share and can't imagine figuring, you know, sharing with those lean sheep. But that, this Mark uh, then has a doublet here and that, uh, that doublet uh, uh, occurs now later in chapter eight. So once again, Jesus has crossed the shore. He's gone to the other side, uh, to the to the people who for whom G- Israel was actually created. You know, remember the the people of Israel were 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 gathered uh, by God in uh, in in the in the book of Genesis uh, to be a light to all the nations. Jesus is going to enter the temple later and say, "My house was was intended to be a light for all the nations." You were the purpose was you were not chosen simply to be a people who lived in the promised land. No, you were chosen to live in such a way that all the nations, all my scattered nations would be drawn into my love. And so we see Jesus now enacting this repeatedly by having his ministry and then going to the other side to in, in seeing the the folks who had been scattered, the people of the land, the poor of the land who were not Jewish. And so that's what we see in this in chapter eight here, the Gentile people of the land this time, much like our Palestinians today who have been who have been persecuted in the promised land by Israel. Uh, they they uh, people, the Gentile people of the land who have, you know, had been gathered and they were without food. And again, Jesus instructs them. He sees their hunger. He sees the hunger in their in their bodies and the hunger in their hearts. And he turns to disciples and instructs his disciples to feed them, just as he instructs us to feed all of the people of the land. And, and we see the same words there. Jesus says, I am moved with compassion. And he's concerned that they will grow faint on the way. I want to remind you that the way is is the is the way of love, Jesus's way, the kingdom way. And, and he's concerned that all these people have been gathered from the east and the west and the north and south. These Gentiles who have been drawn into the way will grow faint on the way if they are not fed. And so the Gentiles are described by Jesus as the scattered poor of Yahweh, just as we read in Psalm 107 that Steve Skews read to us uh, this morning. Some wandered in the desert waste to a city to dwell in hungry and thirsty, their soul faltered within them. And once again, we see Jesus does the same thing. He organizes them. He gives food for the food for the disciples to pass on. And he took, he gave thanks for it. He broke it and he gave. And once again, all ate and were satisfied. So we see here, in Mark's portrait, this wonderful, wonderful rendering of Jesus teaching us how God actually provides the bread of life. And that bread of life is a, is a way, it is very much political because it's a way, it's, it's a way of, of performing kingdom economics, this, this sharing of all the means that God uses to sustain us. You know, I, 
had a conversation last night with my daughter, Callie, and I got to tell you, I am so excited. I've got one grandson. I greeted you earlier today when we spoke about Father's Day, about my grandson is already born. But I got a grand fetus, too, in my daughter, Callie. And I'm excited. He's going to be born in October. Uh, and, and, and but I, but I'm profoundly moved as I think about it in a couple of ways. And I share with some of you some of my concerns, my my worries. I, I think of my daughter, Callie. Callie is my eldest of, of my three daughters. Uh, and and uh, I and I worry how it's going to feel for her. Uh, and I already see the evidence that it is that is a, a difficult thing for her because this is one of those moments, one of those rites of passage that a, a daughter expects to go through with her mom and her mother's dead. And as her father who tries to be her mother, I, I worry how God teach me. Teach me how to provide the bread that that she needs, and I and I think about this grandson who is to be born, and I wonder how how you know what will sustain him, you know, long after I'm gone. And I was thinking all this, and uh, and and, it, and it's all in the mix of having watched this movie. So Gene and I watched a movie that I, I really commend to you. I think it's marvelous. It's a it's a work by Lin Manuel Miranda, and it's showing in the theaters now and and on HBO Max. It's called In the Heights, and it's a story of um, uh, the, the Latin community that has gathered very much people of the land of uh, Spanish speaking peoples from Dominican Republic and Cuba and Puerto Rico and Chile and other places. And they've gathered and, and have established community beachheads in, uh, in, the city, in New York City in, in the place called Washington Heights. And the story helps you to see the tremendous obstacles with which we fat sheep have helped them uh, live here, but only as lean sheep. We prevented them from sharing in the blessings that you and I take for granted. These are persons of color. These are persons that uh, are undocumented immigrants and they're hungry. But the beautiful thing about the story that I want to share with you, and this is in the context of thinking about my daughter, Callie, and, and, uh, and, and, and this grandson who is to be born, there's this beautiful uh, theme that recurs. Uh, it's in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish, so I apologize if I butcher it. But the way I, there's a song actually about it. It's called Paciencia y Fe. Paciencia y Fe. And it means patience in faith and 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 they tell the story of how each generation in Washington Heights had survived and they had survived by raising up in each generation leaders who passed on to them the bread that sustained them even in times of famine paciencia y fe god is with us in spite of appearances Paciencia y fe. And so, so again, the, the word, the bread that, they, that the folks needed was certainly the grain, but they needed this paciencia y fe, the, this word that sustained them so that they could keep walking, keep fighting for the respect that was their due, that's due for all Americans. But, but above all, the teaching that they passed on was keep performing those small concrete practices that embody our human dignity in spite of all of those who deny it. And above all, keep loving each other by sharing the true bread that satisfies. Whatever God has given you, whomever God gathers around you, whether you're in the city or in the wilderness, take, Eucharista, give thanks, break, 
and share with your neighbor. And this practice, this practice is the bread that feeds us. That's the politics of Jesus that sustains us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we will practice this paciencia e fe and pass it on to our children and grandchildren. If there's one thing I hope that my daughter feels in, in her solitude as she goes through this pregnancy and, and as, I, as I learn to be a grandfather to this grandson who's coming, I hope that I will pass on this patience and faith that expects there to be a surprising abundance already in the things that are right there before us. This is the truth. This is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.